Chapter 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No man may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And so David gathered all of Israel together in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord in its place which he had prepared for it. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your mighty word, and Lord, that we would just be drawn to you through the life of King David with all of his failures, but Lord, his heart after you. We will see an amazing man's heart after God tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is alive and it's powerful. We ask, Lord, that you just bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever failed? Okay. Uh, If you didn't raise your hand, you're a sinner. Well, we already knew that. We've all failed. David failed so bad he got somebody killed. (laughs) No show of hands there. And yet I want to point something out that I didn't want to point out last week to point out this week as we go through. David, as we saw, took uh, the reins. He became king. All of Israel came together to welcome him in. And David had this wonderful idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Wonderful idea. The problem was he had this great idea, but his method of getting it to Jerusalem was an utter failure because he was going off of what the world had done previously rather than what God's word prescribed in the law. And remember that, that he put the ark onto a cart. Uh, it said a new cart. He had the ox in there. And Uzzah, poor Uzzah, who will ever be remembered as the guy who touched the ark. Maybe in heaven he's got the I touched the ark shirt. We'll all know who Uzzah was. And there was Uzzah. He put his hand out to stable it as it went through the threshing floor. It hit a bump and he put his hand out and the Lord took his life. And at the end of that, David was angry. Lord, why are you taking Uzzah? And again, God is silent in that. And it teaches us this wonderful lesson, which is you can have the greatest motives in the world and yet still be wrong in the method that it's carried out. But that's not what I want to focus on. How is that possible? Because we're going to see we're see the transition into Jerusalem. What I think is interesting is the last chapter, go back one chapter with me in chapter 14, and know it's not about David's wives. It's about the Philistines' defeat at the hand of David. Why is that important? Why is that so important? Because David had this utter failure, and yet God did not leave him. He did what? He not only was with him, he, I heard it over here, blessed him. Anyone else blow your mind? David, you just got somebody killed, and now God is blessing you, 
Oh, David's going to have a consequence. Don't think that uh, our choices aren't without consequences. They are, but I wanted you to see the amazing grace of God and how important the life of David is for us to learn from. You and I have monumental failures in life, and yet God is there. And oftentimes, he blesses through the failure. Who loves, who loves that God that we serve? I got about four people, everyone else. Isn't that wonderful? I wanted to wait till tonight to point that out. I could have pointed it out last week. But the failure of David is, and the reason why David is such a man of God is David tends to learn from his mistakes. And that is what this chapter is about. First Chronicles chapter 15. Again, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. Now, the ark had already been in the tabernacle of meeting. It had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and now it, it is... Back in Israel, it's there. The priests are ministering. We know that through the book of Chronicles. And David has this heart, as we saw in two chapters ago, to bring it to Jerusalem. This is wonderful. But David figures out what he had done was wrong. And now he is going to prepare a place for the ark of God. Note with me, it says David built houses for himself in the city of David. We will see that in the coming chapters and Nathan talking to him. But David says in verse 2, No one may carry the ark of God but who? The Levites. It's like, I know this is shocking, it's like David read the Bible. Sometimes our answers are right where? (laughs) Not on Instagram. They're right in the Bible. And I've said this before. Although we have counseling and people come in for counseling, I think the believer knows exactly what to do and to fix their life. They just tend not to do it. As is right here in this book, it's the owner's manual. Men, I know you have a problem with instructions. Right? You get that instruction? And these new Chinese instructions are very tiny. I don't know who's writing them or it's my eyes are getting worse, but come on. We all agree to go to a bigger font, like over six. (laughs) It's like two's, uh, got my own issues. But there you've got that instruction, and you're putting the table together, and when you're done, it doesn't look like the photo on the box because you didn't follow (laughs) the instructions. Why sometimes our life turns out the way that it does is because we don't consult the manual. And praise God, David consulted the manual. Now David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him, notice with me, forever. We're going to see later on how God um, not only blesses them and equips them, he gives them the power to accomplish that task. And so David gathered, verse 3, we're going quite quick tonight, all Israel, how much is all? 
all of Israel now gathers together in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord in its place, which he had prepared for it. By the way, does anyone see how amazing that verse is? No, I know. Hold on. <laughs> he brought up all Israel last time and had a huge failure. What does that look like, to fail in front of two million people? And now you, all right, now listen. I know we came to Jerusalem last time, and some guy died, but I promise you this time no one's going to die. I read the manual. It'll be okay. What are these people thinking? And so they all come together to bring up the ark of the Lord, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. And it goes through all of the Levites and all of their tribes and all of their names and all of their numbers, which you will lovingly read later on. Verse 12 says, he said to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourself that which they didn't do last time. He didn't call them to do that last time. Sanctify yourself and your brethren that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to its place that I have prepared. For because of you, you did not do it at the first time. David takes responsibility, but he also puts the responsibility on the priest. Play this out. If the priest had done their job, they should have said to David way back when, hey, we're not supposed to put it on a cart. We're not supposed to do it a worldly way. God has prescribed us a way to do that. So let's stop. They didn't do that. We'll leave it there. <laughs> they didn't do that. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against, notice he blames himself, us, because we did not consult him about the proper order. I love how David says order. He knows that we serve a God of order. God, through his law, talks about the order of services and how things operate because we live in a universe that is ordered as well. And so the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God. Where did they bore them? Where they're supposed to, on their shoulders, not on a cart, by its poles. Please note with me, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. If they had just followed the manual the first time, Uzzah wouldn't die. Now, David spoke to the leaders of the Levites and appointed their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harp, cymbals, by raising their voice with a resounding joy. And so the Levites appointed, and you got to love this guy, He-Man. Now, if you are from the 80s, this was a cartoon character, but we're going to leave him there. But He-Man's it. He made it in the Bible the son of Joel and his brothers of Asaph and Berechiah and their brethren, the sons of Mariah, Ethan, and the Cushites there, and with them the rest of these guys, but you got to say He-Man again there. He's a singer in verse 19. Jump down now to verse 26. 
sorry, 25. And so David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over the thousands, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Do you see that word joy? There has been a lack of joy for the last couple of months in Israel. It's been quite a bummer. David, the whole nation of Israel, they came together. They watched Uzzah die. They watched the leader kind of be confused. And there's this state of what to do. There hasn't been much joy. But listen, if we do what God's word says, what is the result? Joy. Joy comes from obedience. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to remember here. This joy that comes out. And so it was when God, here it is, underlying this, helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, how about you? But gold is heavy. And this is a box that is overlaid with pure gold inside and out. It's heavy. And four guys are carrying it. And listen, if they're carrying it from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem, that's a pretty good clip. So what does it say? It says that God here helped them. When we fulfill God's word and we're carrying God upon our shoulder, his word and his will upon our life, that is, please note with me, the time when God helps us. I love that. Isn't that great? Like You can't make this stuff up. This is right here in God's word. He helped them, helped those Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and then they offered seven, seven bulls and seven rams. Nothing like having a parade with barbecue. Amen? That's why we know they were, they were southern. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites who also bore the ark, and the singers and Chenaniah, the music master with the singers, and David also wore a linen ephod. And thus all of Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn and the trumpet and the cymbals making music with stringed instruments and harps. Can you imagine what that looked like and sounded like? Amazing. You think the Thanksgiving parade that was canceled, they canceled the parade on us is amazing with the balloons and all of that and the people out there. Can you imagine the biggest worship <laughs> uh, gathering with two million plus people and all the singers and the instruments? It would have been amazing. Now, we are at the height of this. All of Israel now is flowing into Jerusalem. It's a wonderful time. It's like going to Arrowwood for a men's retreat. By the way, sign up for that coming up next month. You've gone to a retreat, you've gone to whatever, you're at this high, it's wonderful. The problem is oftentimes you have to come off of the mountain or you get home and then something happens. It's just life. And so as it happened, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David, notice, whirling, that is dancing for you Baptist. Yes, he was dancing and playing music. Oh, and she despised him in her heart. 
Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And this has a, a lot more detail of what was going on. I want to point out two verses for you. Verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David. Oh, this is even worse. He was leaping and whirling, dancing before Yahweh, Jehovah God. And she despised him in her heart. Jump down to verse 23. Therefore... Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It's pretty telling, isn't it? Michael's barrenness was not necessarily the result of the divine judgment. Oh, it could have been divine judgment by God. But it may be that David never again had marital relations with her. The principle stands. There is often barrenness in the life and the ministry of people who are overly critical. You become barren. You're judgmental. You're just mean. That's what goes on in the body of Christ. Isn't that sad? On our, um, you can turn back now to First Chronicles chapter 15. When Micah and I were doing our roundtable chat this week, we talked about division inside of the church during COVID. And this is what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing the enemy use people, even inside of the church, to be hypercritical. You can do that, like Michael. But there is always a consequence. And for her, it was barrenness. And a lot of people often are barren because of that. Chapter 16. And so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And don't you love this kind of party? Remember I told you it was a barbecue? Look. Then he distributed to everyone in Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of what? Meat. Thank you, Jesus. And a cake of raisin. You not only got bread and meat, you got dessert for coming out and seeing the ark of God be placed in the tabernacle. And so he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And Asaph the chief was next to him, next to Zechariah. And then it lists out all of these who are doing the task of ministering before the Lord. Notice on that day, verse 7, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph his brethren, to thank the Lord. This is David's psalm of thanksgiving that the ark is back in Israel. Please note with me the heart of David here, the psalmist. You know, it's often, it's often like 
David wants to be a priest. He wants to be a musician. And he kind of like, I'm a, and I'm kind of king too. He would rather have been a priest and a musician than be king. Well, thank God he gave us all of these psalms. And he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name and make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous work. What has God done? Not that. I mean, it's another day to bring forth praise to God. Thank you, Lord, that you are allowing me to bring forth praise. Thank you, Lord, that we came together tonight. Isn't it a wonderful thing to come into the house of the Lord? How many of you, please, be honest, because you have to, before COVID, like, ah, I'm going to church, not a big deal. Then you're left at home by mandate, by government restriction. And then we got together. And we realized that Christianity is something so much deeper than these politicians who have no idea because they're pagans and they're antichrist. And they don't understand what it's like to hang out with somebody who follows the same Jesus and to just be in fellowship. One of my favorite things, I know Matt has traveled <laughs> portions of the world with me, and when we go places, go to Nepal or India or these different places, in England, yes, England, those English and we're together as the, something just missed, yes, I said it, mystical happens. I don't know that person from Adam, but I can sit down and I can have a meal. We can have a fellowship. We can have worship. I don't know what they're saying, but I know the melody of it. And there is something that unites us together as the body of Christ. It is wonderful. Something, again, that the world and your family will never understand that the body of Christ is often deeper than blood. Well, he says, glory in his holy name. And let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgment of his mouth. Remember. We live in a country right now that doesn't want to remember even five years ago. The present or, or the previous administration or the one before that. We, we have short-sighted memory in this. We just want to rewrite the history so it fits our own whims. The Bible is very clear to remember. And to remember what God has done for us. His marvelous works which he has done. O seed of Israel, his servant, your children Jacob, Jacob, he chooses one. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all of the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and an ozik, an ozik, what's an ozik? An oath to Isaac. I put those two together. 
and to confirm it to Jacob, a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant. That's why Israel owns the land and it is their land and no other group gets to tell them how to use their land. It's their land. It's not the Palestinians. There is no such thing as a Palestinian. It was a made-up term by Yasser Arafat's father in the 1900s. The Romans called it Palestine, which means anybody who lived in the entire area that the Romans conquered was called Palestine. There is no Palestinian as we know that today. I am so thankful for our present administration who was making peace without the Palestinians okay. I, I absolutely love how our present, uh, our present administration does run, run arounds all the time. I just love it. And he confounds people left and right. Amen. Israel has an everlasting covenant with God and to the land. And the United States of America has no right to tell Israel, nor does the European Union or the United Nations to tell them what to do with that land. He goes on, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as an allotment of your inheritance. When you were what? Few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another kingdom. And he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch, please underline, my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. So sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, and to declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared among, notice, all the little g-gods. For all the little g-gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. I think you get to win if, if we're ranking gods the one who creates everything, he, he kind of the top one. Everyone else, as we know through the Bible, is made up by man's hands. He says, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. And give to the Lord, O families and peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, do his name, and bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. And the world also is firmly established. Please note with me, and it cannot be moved. This universe is set in order. And I don't want to get into a whole global warming thing, but you need to understand that we as human beings are not changing planet earth because God and his word tells us it won't be moved Nothing will, oh, can we do some damage? Oh, we can do damage, but not on a global scale. God will work this third rock from the sun until he's done. Oh, that rhymed. And we don't, we need to be good stewards. I totally believe in that. We need to be good stewards, but we don't need 
to go down an agenda of the world. He said, let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad and let them say to the nation, the Lord reigns. Guys, I think it's very powerful to proclaim the name of the Lord in the day in which we live in where there is so much animosity on planet earth. When there are so many people searching, we need to say, yeah, but the Lord reigns. He's still on the throne. He didn't take a vacation during COVID. He knows what's happening. The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He is. We're waiting for it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to trumpet in your praise, to triumph, I'm sorry, in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, everlasting to everlasting, and to all the people of the earth, say amen and praise the Lord. By the way, if you go through there, did you see how many times the Lord is capitalized? That's all Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the strongest word that we could use for God. And so he left, verse, where are we, 37, left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly every day its work and what it required. And Obed-Edom, with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jethuthun, and Hosea, to be the gatekeepers, and Zadok the priest and the brethren, the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord, in the high places that were in Gibeon, to burn offering to the Lord on the altar, and burn offering regularly, morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he had commanded Israel. And with them, there he is, he made it back, he man, and Jethuthun and the rest, who were chosen were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with Haman, uh, I'm sorry, Haman and, uh, and Jethuthun to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jethuthun were gatekeepers. By the way, I don't want to go off on this, but I want to make this clear. There, there are those who say, if it's not an organ or a hymn, then it's not worship music. We don't have that here. I, anyone see a, an organ? We have the instruments of the day. And whatever instrument of the day was, is that what they used to praise the Lord? We just happen to have guitars today. We have drums today. We have keyboards today. It's wonderful. We have different music today. Whatever the instrument of the day is, that's what we use to praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. 40, 3, thank you, just shout out at any time. 
Then all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Now, that's a wonderful day, isn't it? It's a wonderful time, even though with the, with the wet blanket of David's wife despising him, he didn't let it get him down. He worshiped the Lord, and he continued. And so in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, It came to pass which means some time has elapsed. When David was in his dwelling in his house, and David said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent and in curtains. David, in effect, says, Listen, I'm living in a cedar house. I'm living in some fine dwelling. And remember, cedar of the day was very expensive. The cedar came from Lebanon. So it was transported down. Israel didn't have cedar. And so for David to live in a cedar house was a very expensive house. And so David looks at that and says, listen, I'm living in this wonderful house, and yet the Lord's living in a Coleman tent. It doesn't seem right. Now, I want you to think about that. David is thinking about the state of the Lord. Now, nothing wrong with what David is thinking. But oftentimes, we can run very far ahead of God, as we will see that played out here. So Nathan said to David, Hey, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. Now, do what? Obviously, David is saying, I'm living in this house. The Lord's living in the tent. Let's build a big temple for God. And so what is Nathan, his advisor, the prophet of God, who is supposed to be listening to God, he just says, sounds good to me, let's do it. Nathan said to David, he said this because it seemed good and it seemed reasonable, what could be wrong with David building a temple? Think about this. What could go wrong after this? I'm living in this house. It's a pretty nice house. God's living in a tent. I got a plan. Let's build God a big house. Prophet goes, sure. Sounds great. It's reasonable. It's logical. Let's do it. (laughs) There's that word in verse 3. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, and And think about this as you're Nathan the prophet. You're supposed to go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. You shall not build me a house to dwell in it. For I have have not dwelt in a house since the time that that I brought up Israel, even to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Moreover, I have moved about with Israel, and I have spoken a word. I'm sorry, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? I love it. The Lord says, I've been in a, a tent for a long time. I'm okay with the tent. Did I ever tell any, anyone? Did I tell Samuel? Did I tell any of the judges? to build me something nicer than the tent. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold 
and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. David, I took you. You were nothing. You were seventh in the line of your dad's family, of your dad's son. You were number seven. You you were ruddy. You had red hair. There was nothing exciting about you, David. You were the runt. But I took you so that you would be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you, please note this, wherever you have gone. Now, if you read in Samuel, you'll see how David was hunted by Saul. You mean God was with David when he was on the lamb? When he was hiding out in the caves of Adullam and with, with those wretched men all around? God was with him the entire time. God was with him in the wilderness. We often forget that. We think God's only with us during the good times. He was with David. He said, I've been with you wherever you've gone. Notice, I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. David, I love how the Lord humbles us. Does he humble you? Dave, you didn't do anything. You thought it was all you, and you had that little baseball card of you, David, that you hand out, King, you know, mighty king. You flip it over, it's got all this statistics of how many Philistines he's killed and how many Hittites he's killed. Hey, David, you haven't done anything. That is humbling. What is he saying to us tonight? <laughs> Are you ready for it? You and I haven't done anything. We're not special. <gasps> how dare you? I am special. No, not without Lord. He's done the work. And the greatest place that you can get into your life is note that everything that I have comes from him. He owns it all. It's just on loan to me. He says, wherever you've gone, I've done all of this work. I have made your name a household name. Moreover, verse 9, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own, again, getting back to the land of Israel, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded the, judge, the judges to be over my people Israel, I will also subdue all your enemies Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Wait, what? This all started with David saying, I'm living in this nice house. I want to build God a house. Nathan says, great, do it all. Nathan comes home, has a vision from the Lord. He says, no, 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 tell David that I will build him a house. God promises David that he will build him a house in a sense of establishing the dynasty of the house of David that it would be a legacy, and that, listen, that the king of kings would come through his line. That's wonderful. That's, a, that's an amazing promise. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, that means when you die, when you go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. We know that to be Solomon. And he shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him, 
as I took it away from him who was before you. Who was that? No, he didn't even call Saul by name. But when you read verse 13, is it amazing to you? Why, why is it amazing to me? Because I know who Solomon is. Solomon will go on to have 300 concubines and 700 wives. And his heart will depart from the Lord because of the paganist that was allowed to be brought into his kingdom by those foreign wives. And yet God says in verse 13, he knows all of this is going to happen. And yet, he says, I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it away from the one who is before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all the words and, and according to all the visions, so Nathan spoke to David. It wasn't because Solomon was great. It was because God was great. Just like David. David wasn't great without the Lord, and Solomon wasn't going to be great without the Lord as well. Well, you can imagine what David's going to do now. What he always does when he hears what God is doing in his life. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is in my house that you have brought me so far? David is a humble man. He often has to be humbled, but he is a humble man. He realizes what God just said to him he realized that Messiah would come through his line. And yet, he said, this, is, this was such a small thing in your sight, O God. And you have also spoken your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of a high degree, O Lord. Not only have I come from a place of a shepherd, of a nobody. We, we, we talked about shepherds, did we not? On Sunday, we talked about how they were the lowest of the low in society. And David, Lord, you've brought me from nothing to something amazing. Notice, regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, your, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all of this greatness in making known these great things. Listen, God didn't have to tell David anything. Yes, he could have just let Dave die. But he showed him that. Remember God's uh, mercy and grace upon Mo, right before Moses is going to die? What, is, what does God do? Takes him up to the high hill and lets him see the land of promise. He didn't have to do that. Just like here with David, he doesn't have to tell David anything. And yet David realizes how important that is. O Lord, there is none like you, verse 20. Nor is there any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? One nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make himself, I'm sorry, to make for yourself a name to be great and awesome deeds by driving out nations before you 
and your people whom you redeemed out of Egypt. He makes the statement again that Israel is nothing, and yet God made them a people. This tribe of Eber who would become the Hebrews, and that God would look upon Abraham and said, I will use this man, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob to bring forth the Jewish people. They are a special people. They are, we are to stand behind the Jewish people. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. The greatest thing the church can ever do is stand behind Israel. Always, always, always. For you have made your people Israel your very own people. How long, Pete? What's it say? Uh, forever, yet, there's a wing inside of the church that believes in replacement theology, that, be, that believes that the church has replaced Israel and its promises. I don't know about you, but the Hebrew word for forever means forever. How, how do you reinterpret that? It's forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant, that's me, David, and concerning this house, his house, let it be established forever as you have said, and let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. Uh, I'm going to make a short point. It grieves my heart that in Israel, there is only roughly around 10% of the population that believe in God. In Israel. See, they're Israelis. I had this conversation with our guide when we were there. First day, right out of the bat, we're sitting there in Caesarea by the sea. The whole troop is going around. I'm sitting next to our new guide that I've never talked to before ever and I wanted to know what I was dealing with on this trip. And I said to her, my wife was on that trip, and I just said, oh, so do you go to temple? I mean, do you go to temple? Well, no, I, I'm not religious. I said, well, then you're not a Jew. And her eyes got about this big. She said, what? I said, no, you're an Israeli. You're a Hebrew. You're not a Jew. What? I said, Judaism is the religion. Hebrew is your race, your people. You're Hebrew. You're Israeli. If if you want to be called Jewish, then go to temple. No one had ever told her that before. And from that point on, we had a great dialogue. Really, honestly, I revealed something to her that she had never thought about. She had never thought about that. That's like living in the South and calling yourself a Christian. Just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. It is a surrendered heart to God. So to a Jew is one Paul says. He says, inwardly circumcised of the heart. Oh, Paul gets into this in Romans. He gets into it in Galatians. Uh, maybe in Hebrews, depending on if we think he's the author or not. These are God's people. 
Notice, your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. You have established them forever. Verse 24, so let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. David realizes what Nathan just told him. You're going to build me a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant. It's amazing. Twice now, David launches into these amazing prayers and psalms, giving God the glory and the praise, and knowing that it wasn't him who did the work, that it was God doing the work all of the time. We would do really well to be as humble as David through these chapters and know the grace of God through the failures of our life. He doesn't give up on us. Amen? He strengthens us to push through the valley of the shadow of death. How about you, but I love that. I know that God is working through even the darkest time in my life because there is another side. You know, when we walk through that time, there is the other side. And God allows us to go through that with him. Read ahead. Lord willing, next week we'll get into David. Now David will continue what he does so well. Uh, Later on we'll read why David can't build the temple. It is because of the next couple of chapters is because David is a man of war and Solomon, his son, will not be and he will be free to build God's house there in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. For your servant David, Lord, for his life, although not perfect, lots of failures, (laughs) lots of problems in the life of David, But Lord, his heart, and we can hear that tonight. We can hear it come out. We can hear when he admits that he is wrong and that he failed. And as a leader to show the people not to stay in the failure, but to come out of it, to rise out of the pit. The the enemy would love to keep us down, keep us mired in the clay but you have put our feet upon the rock, and that rock is Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the life of David, for Nathan the prophet, and Lord, his life as it shows us these godly examples. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.